Did You Read with Tim Montgomery. Welcome to Did You Read the Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery and this week I am joined by Alice Thompson, Richard Fletcher and Daniel Finkelstein. You may have given thousands to charity and entertained millions of middle-aged women, but you can't feel that good about yourself, Gary. Take this. Some of your merry band have avoided 26 million in tax. Did you really need that extra swimming pool? Or could you have joined everyone else in paying for our roads, hospitals and schools? Takeovers destroy shareholder value. It's not difficult to find examples of disastrous tie-ups. But not every deal is a disaster. And no matter how much we may dislike the idea of Pfizer taking over AstraZeneca, and I do dislike the idea, we have to resist the calls of the do-somethings and let the AstraZeneca shareholders and executives decide. The idea that we're not very good at World Cups and have a crisis in the players we can select is wrong. We aren't a very big country, so we should expect to win only occasionally. Because our domestic league is so good, we outperform our size as a nation, but still we think we're doing badly. I can't help thinking this is a metaphor. Alice, let's uh, begin with your topic. And Saturday's edition of The Times splashed with the news that um, a tax avoidance scheme that Gary Barlow from Take That had um, been involved in seemed to have been collapsed in the courts and he's now liable for millions and millions of pounds of back taxes. And you don't have very much sympathy with him. No, not really. I mean, he has given a great deal of money to charity and he's very much a do-gooder and wants to be seen in that light. But the problem is for these very rich people, a lot of them now do think that if they do a lot of philanthropy, they don't have to pay any taxes. And yet we'd all rather like that too. It'd be quite fun not to pay any taxes, but just give to the causes that you like. And we can't. I mean, it would be a disaster if everyone just gave to what they thought was a good cause, but didn't pay for the boring things like schools or hospitals or anything like that. So you really can't have two different rules. And it's a particular case, I think, for him because he is so smug about it all. Mm. And it is just a vast amount of money. I mean, is if it you smug? think of what you could do. What's the evidence that it's smug? Well, the fact that he kept saying that when it came up before, I mean, he's already been caught out once, but that time, you know, he kept saying, well, I'm giving money, I've done this, I've done mm. that. You know, I am part of the you know, good society. And actually, it's not really enough. I think I only partly agree with this. I think he's, after all, as well as avoiding quite a lot of tax, he's paid a huge amount of tax. And the state isn't actually a charity. It's a mutual relationship in which he gets certain benefits under law and he also returns certain taxes under law. And I don't think he's required to do more than comply with the law. Now, in this case, it seems as though he was caught out not doing it. And I think it was a pretty aggressive and obvious scheme to avoid legal obligation. Uh, So I don't approve of it. I disapprove of it. But I don't don't think that it um, deserves quite the opprobrium that's been piled upon him. I think what's quite, what's quite interesting is that we get very angry about this, but then we, we don't do anything about it. So that if you look at Amazon, which also revealed last week how little tax they pay by, by tr- doing the transactions through uh, Luxembourg, uh, when you log on, we all get very angry about this and we all understand it. But come Christmas time, we'll all order from Amazon because it's nice and convenient and easy and you can do it all in one and go. And buy our Take That um, DVDs. And go to Starbucks. I mean, well, that's the problem. But I think it's changing because of the recession. So I think before the recession, in the same way that people didn't care as much about MP expenses they didn't care as much about people avoiding tax because everyone was slightly up to it whereas now because people have gone through a very difficult recession where they've had to pay vast amounts of tax they feel at the same time as struggling they just can't bear the idea that other people aren't doing what they've had to do did richard fletcher though did starbucks not suffer a little bit because of the um 
their reputation they got for not paying much tax in the UK. Starbucks did see sales fall slightly, although I suspect that's because their coffee is rather bitter rather than they, they don't pay tax. Um, but, but Amazon is, is, has done superbly well, and I think everybody now understands how they they don't uh, do the transactions in the UK when you, when you order, although they dispatch them from the UK. So... But so they've. I mean, there is some evidence that there is. There, there, you know, there is. But it's very small. It's very small. Are we, are we, are we all being a bit hypocritical, Danny? All this criticism of um, Gary Barlow. I wonder how many listeners to this podcast, average taxpayers, if they were presented with a scheme that could save them hundreds, thousands, millions of pounds, wouldn't they accept it? Yeah, well, we all uh, avoid tax um, in in one way. So one of the ways that I avoid paying Gary Barlow's tax bill is by not being Gary Barlow. And one of the ways that I avoid paying a large amount of money for uh, as a very large retailer is by not setting up a very large retailer. Mm. Um, so these people are very entrepreneurial as a result of Gary Barlow's efforts on his own behalf, but uh, as well as on behalf of everybody, he is paying a vast amount of tax. Those are people I want to encourage to do business here, um, partly because um, they pay tax, but also because they provide incredibly good services that I like to use. But then and, can't you just and, say what and, Nigel And concerts said. and records. So I think people have an obligation to pay their tax. I'm glad that that obligation has been imposed upon him. I don't think that you should use aggressive tax vehicles. I'm against uh, doing that. Uh, but I don't attach the same opprobrium and I, uh, to, to Gary Barlow that most people do. And I think that um, we don't want to begin to see the state as a sort of form of charitable giving and think people should just sort of donate more out of the goodness of their heart. Because Hugo Rifkind in Tuesday's edition of the newspaper wrote, fundamentally, it should not be possible to avoid millions in tax and still consider yourself a good person. And he, Richard Fletcher, sort of says, imagine if Gary Barlow had stolen 10 primary schools and because of the level of tax avoidance that he has been found uh, guilty of um, is equivalent to that sort of denial of money to, the, to public services. Uh, uh, should we be as angry as the Times leaders have been in the last few days? I think there has been a sea change, and I think that's probably right there. I think people do now refuse to pay cash in hand, and there is it is it is no longer it's not sort of weird when you know like the Italy was ten twenty years ago mm. where tax avoidance was a national sport. I, it's it ha, I think there has been a change in attitude. Um, I suspect we will get angry, but I suspect people will still be buying um, his singles in two years' time. I, I think the important Alice Thompson that actually that when you if you're going to do it, it should be transparent. So actually, Nigel Lawson saying drop the high rate of tax to 40%. That's probably more what Danny should do. So actually just make it more transparent. Give them a chance. These people, if they are making vast amounts of money for the country, then you know, give them a break in that way. But don't do it all in an underhand way, which none of us the, really understand. There is, we don't is, like. Isn't there, Alice, a, a responsibility for politicians to make, not necessarily cut the tax, as Nigel Lawson suggests, but certainly to simplify an incredibly complicated system. I think that Tolly's Guide to the Tax System doubled in length during the Labour years, not really noticing that the Office of Tax Simplification is really turning it around under the coalition. And the only people who seem to be able to understand the tax system are sort of people with very long qualifications in accountancy. And also it goes wrong, so like the pasty tax. I mean, every time you try and change a tax, everything else seems to then change as well and people get incredibly irate about all very minor details of tax people so it's will, incredibly difficult but people will always try to avoid tax um, uh, I, I agree it's, it's easier, that, easier to uh, try to avoid when you have a complicated there, tax there's a difference system. between a v yes I agree completely yeah. and as you know
no, I agree, agree about simplicity of tax. And I, and I, there is a difference between tax evasion and tax avoidance. Yep. You know, and I do say again, one of the ways that Hugo Rifkin avoids uh, Gary Barlow's tax bill is by not doing what Gary Barlow's done and making a big fortune. So he's also taking behaviour that avoids uh, paying tax. In other words, uh, we have to be careful not to reduce people's liberty to behave in legal ways. Now, I do agree that the, the thing about the problem no with Gary Barlow... No one is trying to stop Gary Barlow doing yeah. exactly as he wishes, just Correct. saying that he should pay his taxes. Correct, and absolutely. And he engaged himself in a tax scheme. This is the reason why we've made a big fuss about it. That turned out to be one that was not accepted, and gradually we've tightened the rules correctly, I think, to make sure that we're clearer and clearer about what it is we expect people to pay. But I, I, while I'm against people evading their tax illegally, I, I'm not against people attempting to pay the amount of tax within the law uh, that they're eligible for, and okay. everybody okay. does okay. it in their own way. Richard but, but, but it didn't pass the, if it's too good to be, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is too good Correct. to be true <laughs> test. And, that, and that's the test you should apply to these. If it's, if it's been designed simply to Avoid paying tax, then then it then it is it, it is morally corrupt. Uh, and, and finally, um, uh, to you, Alice, um, on the on your topic, uh, Richard Fletcher uses the term morally corrupt. When Jimmy Carr, the comedian, got into trouble with his tax affairs, David Cameron described his behaviour as morally repugnant. He refused to do that with. Gary Barlow, not quite sure whether I can mm. tell much of a difference between these tax avoidance schemes. Was it anything to do with the fact that Gary Barlow was a Conservative supporter? Mm. All that David Cameron's a take that fan. <laughs> <laughs> I also think once you've done it, he got into a lot of trouble the first time. It wasn't a very wise thing to do, the Prime Minister, to get involved in people's individual tax affairs. And the exact example of that is that the second one that came up, he didn't want to do it again and it looks incredibly embarrassing because Gary Barlow's a mm. Tory. But if he does that on Gary Barlow, he'll be engaged in it endlessly stream of these also, things. Also, he doesn't so want to keep talking about, about the, the rich. Place. I mean, that's the problem, is if he keeps going on and on about the rich, what he wants to do is go to Nando's and have chicken, doesn't he? I mean, that's a much, better, much <laughs> better message to send than talking about very rich people's tax. So we have um, the business editor um, in this uh, podcast being a little bit down on Starbucks bitter coffee, but approving of Nando's oh. chicken. I mean, Fletcher family's a big fan of <laughs> Nando's. <laughs> and I assure listeners that this podcast is not sponsored by any of these companies. <laughs> um, but Richard, um, let's go on to your topic. And I should welcome you, of course. This is your first podcast. We're glad to have you as business editor at the Times and glad to have you joining us today. And one of the big topics that's been filling the business pages recently is this potential Pfizer takeover of AstraZeneca. And um, public opinion polls are very worried about this takeover. And now there's an opinion poll that YouGov uh, conducted which suggested that 8% of people thought that takeovers were generally good. 64% thought they were generally bad. This is a very tricky issue for the government. Uh, I'm very much in the minority, but I do passionately believe we've we've got a reputation as a country for being a place which welcomes uh, foreign investment, a place where you can buy and sell businesses, a place where property rights are respected and politicians don't interfere. And when they do interfere, it's normally uh, with disastrous consequences. So who can forget Stephen Byers, who decided to hand MG Rover to five local businessmen, complete with a 500 million dowry from BMW. And mm. five years later, the whole business had collapsed and uh, the five directors had managed to take £42 million out of the company. Um, and Stephen Byers intervened because there was this belief that John Morton, who was a turnaround specialist, was an asset stripper who was only interested in destroying MG Rover. So I just... 
it's very difficult to pick the winner and losers of uh, of takeovers. It's 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 not easy, and I just don't believe it's something that politicians should become involved in. And I passionately believe they should just bat out of this one. Because in last um, Thursday's Times, um, Jenny Russell wrote a piece that was quite critical of the takeover. Just two quick quotes from her. She wrote that in the past 14 years, Pfizer has bought three major competitors. Each time it has slashed total jobs by as much as a third, cut total research spending by up to half and concentrated its key research bases in the US rather than abroad. And then she goes on to say, profit-hungry shareholders can't be assumed to care about building the high tech, high quality future that the Tories keep promising for British industry. But your argument is Pfizer may not be perfect, but politicians, if they start getting involved in takeovers, would be worse. Is well, that right? I, I, personally, I, I would prefer AstraZeneca to stay independent because I, I just believe the, 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 the Pfizer deal may not be the right deal. But Big Pharma generally has had a terrible decade. Um, they're struggling to produce any new drugs. They're struggling to produce returns for shareholders. There is going to be consolidation. And I just don't believe it's something that we should expect our politicians to referee. Um, standing up for Britain when UKIP is surging, Danny Finkelstein, should the yeah. Tories look, s- look, say look, that they don't want this takeover? The truth is I, I love and admire Jenny Russell, but if I was going to ask somebody for advice on a multi-billion pound uh, pharmaceutical deal, she wouldn't obviously be the first person I rang. Oh, um, in other words, we all got, we've all got a sudden opinion. You're not here to the, defend ourselves. And neither... Was the the other half of my sentence, and neither would I. Uh, I know I have to admit something really bad. I did not. If you'd have asked me at the beginning of this which of these companies was more British owned, AstraZeneca and Pfizer, I wouldn't actually not have known. Uh, And I think that's really the truth with most people. So everyone has conjured up this amazingly strong opinion on whether Astra. Richard's obviously different because he's in that world uh, about AstraZeneca and Pfizer, and it does worry me that we have sudden political opinions on something we have very little expert opinion on, and that is the reason. Why I it's do. Never normally I am us. nervous, <laughs> but so I am very nervous. Therefore, about politicians intervening in this deal. The only thing I would say is, uh, you know, um, John McTurnan, uh, Tony Blair's former advisor, said something that struck me very strongly. He said it's it's quite difficult to um, to shut down plants in countries in which you play golf. So. His point was that if you're headquarters in another country, it does actually make a difference. So there is definitely a national interest that favours the company that has the headquarters in Britain from a British point of view. And so I do. It's not that I can't see the issue. and I'm not a purist, mm. but I'm very sceptical about. Before I bring Alison, you're reasons. eager to respond to that, Richard. But, but I, I agree with that. But the chief executive of AstraZeneca is is a, is a Swede whose family lives in Australia. So he, I'm not sure he plays much golf <laughs> here in the UK. I suspect he's either flying around the world to Astra's plants around the world or seeing his family in Australia. Uh, Alice Thompson, uh, are you nervous about this takeover? Do you want David Cameron, George Osborne, Vince Cable or one of our politicians to say, no, we want to keep AstraZeneca's research facilities here and go away, Pfizer? I think the problem is we can't pick and choose and we're not going to be able to with all these different companies. Therefore, the thing we've got to do is say, actually, Britain is the best country in the world at science and we're increasingly becoming one of the best research centres in the world. And that's what we've got to do is say we want as many companies to come to Britain as possible because we are the best. And you look at, you know, the Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge, you look at some of the facilities we've got and the Nobel Prize winners we're still getting and we're massively punching above our weight, maybe not in football, but in science. We really are out there. And the more we can do that, the more we will encourage other companies to come to Britain 
Britain. And I think this is such a negative argument, the sort of who can we keep out of Britain? What we should be saying is actually who can we have in? And it's the same with the list of billionaires now. The fact we have more billionaires should in some ways be a good thing because what we're saying is Britain is just a fantastic, fabulous place to come. And we should be saying that to all companies. Is actually all of you should be trying to have takeovers. You should all be trying to get into Britain, not the other way around, which is, oh, God, we can't stand all these people. We should say Britain is an amazing place now to because do science. For, and because for every sort of craft takeover at Cadbury's, which is thought not to be particularly good, there is Nissan investment. Yes, in, and we um, can just get better. We can the have the best scientists that people want to keep here. So they will want to keep their facilities here because we have such a good science base, which we do increasingly. And, and, and Britain still is, I think, in the EU. Uh, Richard Fletcher gets the most foreign direct investment of any EU nation. That's partly because... Uh, foreign investors don't think our politicians will interfere. Is, is that right? Absolutely. And look at the success of Tartar with Jaguar Land Rover. And I'm not sure that an Indian investor would have been given such a welcome if they tried to buy one of the you know, the top marquees in the US. And therefore, they do look to invest here rather than looking to invest elsewhere. And that's got to be a good thing. OK, well, look, uh, we must move on to our third uh, topic. And there's probably no British industry that's more open to foreign involvement than the Premier League and English football, um, Danny Finkelstein. And lots of people, of course, think that our openness to having so many of um, the clubs dominated by foreign players, I think Man City, the uh, new Premier League champions, unfortunately, only had two English people on the field when they won the other day. And um, does this affect our chances in the in the World Cup? Should we be pretty pessimistic about what's possible in Brazil? Well, we should be pessimistic in the sense that um, the chances of us winning uh, in Brazil are probably between six and eight percent, um, if that. I haven't done this all is from final your calculations, think, this is from but, your I, but think I think tank column. Exactly. Yes. I, I write a, a Saturday statistical column on football, and um, the, the probabilities are quite well distributed. So even in the best countries in the world uh, at football, um, at any given moment, we'll have a sort of 85% chance of not winning the World Cup. So not winning the World Cup is what almost every country, almost all the time, does. Uh, and we think that because we get knocked out in the quarterfinals, quite a good position to have reached. Um, that means our football is in a disastrous state and we're not doing um, as well as we could do. But in fact, what it really means is we're doing slightly better than we ought to be considering how big a country we are because football results internationally are quite strongly correlated. Obviously, the correlation isn't one, but it's quite strongly correlated with population size and GDP. What lifts us above that is that we have a footballing tradition and a very strong domestic league. And as a result of that, and there is a relationship with it, we're doing somewhat, we do somewhat better in the World Cup. Unfortunately, our expectations go even higher than that so that we ex we think if we don't win it, if we only won it uh, once in my lifetime that is a disaster but actually if you look at the number of countries in the world if we if we won it once or twice in my lifetime uh, over 80 years that would actually be not a bad outcome uh, so the idea that we're in a crisis is simply wrong and it's an example of our ability to think of ourselves as a country as having to be always the winner and of great failure if some one other country does better is, is that right, though, your model, that we do relatively well for our size? Because I think a lot of listeners will think of ourselves as similar population to Spain, Italy and France. And they've done a lot better in World Cups and European Championships over the years. But, I mean, first of all, um, they haven't particularly, but then... Um, they, really? Well, I mean, Spain's only one. Obviously, won the World Cup once, um, and so won, uh, so the, we, won the last. Yes, they won the last European one, but we won. But we won. Well. Okay, but we we've also, you know, we also uh, won the World Cup. So um, once, the, yeah. The, yeah. Um, so no European Championships. 
No, but I mean, obviously, you're taking if you take if you take an example and provide a statistical uh, sample of one victory, um, you can prove almost <laughs> anything with statistics like that. Um, so the, the reason that you use statistics is to is to look at what the how you achieve overall. And overall, um, we do reasonably well uh, given our size as a country. Richard Fletcher. I, I enjoyed Danny's column on Saturday, but I do think we should lock him in the tower for being incredibly unpatriotic at this <laughs> moment. Um, the, the great thing about sport is that hope moment. So it's standing at Cheltenham on the first Tuesday of the Cheltenham Festival in, in, and, and having this belief that you are going to pick every winner that day. It's the <laughs> it's the hope of the World Cup uh, that you are going to well, progress. Well, as a Crystal beyond, Palace supporter, you have to believe. Uh, hope, you have to believe, you, absolutely. <laughs> and it's that hope. And actually, I want to be, when it comes to football, I want to be, you know, the the all blacks of the rugby world. You know, we <laughs> should punch above our weight. Uh, and uh, that's just, I, I just believe we should. And, and I can, I'm sure the statistics are absolutely spot on. But, you know, a few weeks before the start of the World Cup, we just shouldn't be. T- we sh- this sort of, you know, this sort of talk should be banned. Oh dear, uh, Alice, are you at all getting swept up with this World Cup? Apart from that, it's going to cost me a lot because all my children have now changed their match tax from Premiership oh, to yeah. World Cup, which has cost a fortune already. Oh, well, you At least twenty them, pounds. You bought them kits and things. Well, no, no, no. They have to then change the match tax cards because it's a whole new set of match tax cards. For oh, the World I see. Cup. Tim, you've got to keep up. With <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, match tax is very important. Though. I, I know you don't know much about football, but <laughs> match tax is seriously it has to be important. A, it has to be the Panini album rather than the match tax. Can I just point <laughs> yeah, out something? He's obviously overwhelmed with nostalgia. That these. That me announcing what the statistical chances are is not correlated to the outcomes. In other words, it doesn't actually influence the outcome if you hope or don't hope. Um, all I'm trying to do is explain to people how hopeful you're being. Uh, and and, also, and what I'm trying to do is to avoid unnecessary disappointment. So give, give us something to hope for in this World Cup then. What, when you looked at um, Roy Hodgson's um, the boys going no. to Brazil selection, were you, were you excited a little bit by the, the players he'd chosen? I'll, I'll, I'll be absolutely you know, riveted by the World Cup. And um, the, char- the, the best way I can, can hope is that the biggest mistake I ever made writing a column for the Times was that I once described uh, one country as having a 13% of winning the, the chance of winning the European uh, Championships and Greece as having 13% less than that and Greece won um, <laughs> because I failed to understand that they didn't have a 0% chance if you gather together all the countries that have very very little chance of winning the um, uh, World Cup they, their chances together will add up to more than 50% in other words it's more likely than not that a tight team with almost no chance of winning the World Cup will win the World Cup So who's your bet? Who should I be betting on? <laughs> well obviously Brazil are at home so and they're very good. So, but but the answer any question anybody ever asked me about who should I bet on is it depends on the no. odds, Richard. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> That's very my true, worry. Alice. My, my worry is that actually, I mean, it sounds terrible, but if England does win, we are just about to go into a referendum with Scotland about whether or not we want to be British. I do slightly wish that it was a British team because it would have been a huge boost. Whereas yeah. actually now we're going to if England don't win, you know we don't win but if we do win we've got that slightly added feeling of oh god the English have won and the, the Scots Ian, are going to turn around Ian say, Martin wrote a very good blog funny blog for the Telegraph actually if I'm allowed to mention the Telegraph blogs and um, he said England must not win the yes, World well, Cup I'm beginning to think they should certain thing that yeah. will keep well, Scots voting for independence oblige, <laughs> and I think the influence of it will be quite small um, if you try to, as well. of course Harold Wilson did call the 1970 uh, general election uh, in the belief that we would win the World Cup and he would be really 
elected in a euphoric, uh, euphoric, um, euphoric outcome, which was pretty stupid. If he'd had underst- any understanding of statistics, it was very unlikely it would win the World Cup. And we did incredibly well in it, but people were still disappointed. I've just come back from a, from a week in Brazil in the northeast, and I visited one of the World Cup stadiums in Recife, and um, it wasn't quite ready. And um, the traffic jams already in the city were, were enormous and big evidence of lots of policing of the favelas after all the disturbances we had in Brazil um, a year ago on the street. So let's just hope the focus will be on the football and there won't be um, things happening off pitch that will... Uh, uh, spoil the uh, the World Cup but I think we'll have to uh, finish there thank you very much to my guests Danny, Alice and Richard thank you to Dave Maguire, the producer thanks most of all to you for listening and for all time subscribers some of the articles that we've been discussing including Hugo Rifkind on tax and Jenny Russell on the AstraZeneca takeover if you go to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central you can read those pieces and also comment on things that you've heard today. Thanks for listening. I'm Gabriel Marconi, the host of the game podcast from The Times, where we talk football every single Monday. We'll be reviewing the action from the weekend and debating on all the issues of the week. Head to thetimes.co.uk for more details and be sure to subscribe on iTunes.